Welcome to today's episode of Purpose to Performance, brought to you by Magic Mind, the new plant-based productivity shop that helps you do more and stress less. Today, I'm going to be exploring emotions. We all experience them all of the time, but not many of us really understand them. Fortunately, I'm joined on the pod by an expert in emotional literacy, someone who's spent the last 20 years researching, coaching, writing, and speaking about emotions. Welcome, Dan Newby. Thank you so much, Andrew. Very happy to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on board. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to, uh, to having a conversation about emotions, something that um, I profess I've, I've struggled with, maybe not struggled with, but certainly been unaware of or unfamiliar with throughout most of my uh, my life and certainly my professional life. So, uh, yeah, really interested to, to get into it today. Let me just give you a quick quick introduction to our listeners on you, and then we'll jump into the conversation. So Dan is a fellow expat, originally from the US, now living in Marbella in Spain and working globally. He has been an organisational and executive coach for more than 20 years and has worked as a senior trainer for the Newfield Network, one of the leading global coaching schools. Dan trained as an ontological and semantic coach, We'll find out what that means later. Uh, And he's also a professional certified coach with the International Coaching Federation. Dan is the founder of the School of Emotions and has authored several books, including The Unopened Gift, 21 Days to Emotional Literacy, and The Field Guide to Emotions. So, Dan, what are emotions and, and why do we have them? Yeah. Well, a great place to begin. So I, you know, when I start doing this work with people, often what they're looking for is the how, what do I do with my emotions? And the place that I find more helpful to begin is what is an emotion? Because in my reading and my research, what I found is there is no universal agreement on what an emotion is. So we we all know we have emotions. We all, as you said, at times struggle with them. We feel challenged by them. Sometimes we feel maybe controlled by them. But still, if you ask people to articulate what is an emotion, generally what they say is, well, it's kind of like a feeling. Um, If you go to the dictionary, it says something like it's an affective state, meaning you feel something. And those are fine, but they're not very practical. They don't give us much to work with. So in my work, I I always go to the etymology of the word as as a place to begin. So if you look up the etymology or the root of the word emotion, it meant that that moves us. So from Latin, there was this idea that somehow we have this energy that moves us, that puts us in action, that gets us to do things. And I think it's quite clever of the Romans because they actually didn't define it very well. They just said that, that moves us, but they never said what that is. So we're left to, I think, take a look for ourselves at, you know, what what is an emotion in our lives? How does it move us? How is it, How are they sometimes a barrier to us? And really, what's our relationship with them? Do we, do, we, do we see them as support? Do we see them as friends? Or do we see them as something to compete with or to try to control? 
And this is something, you know, this is the, the beginning of the exploration for all of us is, well, what did I learn about emotions and what do I believe they are? And then how could I work towards an interpretation of emotions that is useful to me in my life? Mm. Yeah, what I find fascinating is I, I absolutely agree with all of that. And I think before I became interested in the subject, I had a kind of awareness that emotions were there, um, you know, and I could I could name the obvious ones, you know, happy, sad, angry, frustrated. But yeah, it wasn't no real appreciation that they were telling me something or, yeah, really nothing more than just a vague awareness. But, you yeah. know, since reading about it, you know, you read the research and it, 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 it's sort of uh, come out that being able to identify and understand your emotional experiences mm -hmm. gives you a greater ability to regulate your emotions and, and mm -hmm. improves your psychological well-being. So mm -hmm. given that's the case, it, it seems kind of odd. <laughs> we're, we're so ignorant of, the, of uh -huh. our emotions or, or at least so uneducated in terms of of thinking about it, naming them, interpreting them, everything mm -hmm. else. When, you know, we go through all this years of schooling mm -hmm. on, the, on the sort of logical thought side of our of our knowledge and our our being but nothing on the emotional side mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very true yeah and it's a good question why is that and you know my my perspective would be this is that you know 400 years ago this brilliant mathematician descartes said you know i think therefore i am and you know it was his his way philosophically of trying to determine you know how do we uh, how do we identify what is most true and his answer was well reason logic that's that's how we do it that's how we figure things out so there's no argument here that that's not useful. Of course, it's useful to all of us every day, but we've kind of gone down the path of believing that reason will give us all the answers, that reason will tell us the absolute truth, and when we know that, everything will be fine. But interestingly, a contemporary of Descartes, Blaise Pascal, said, yeah, but wait a minute, but you know, the heart has reasons of which reason knows nothing. So he was saying, well, maybe there's another kind of intelligence here. Maybe there's emotional intelligence, this idea that, oh, but when we have uh, emotions, when we have feelings in the body, that those are also trying to tell us something. It's not just what happens in our heads. But we found, I think, reason so powerful and so useful, and it's led to technological advances, and it's it's easy for us to understand and to teach and to see the benefit of. And I just my sense is that emotions have been second fiddle, right? We just haven't seen them as something that's logical, which I would actually propose they are. We haven't seen them as useful. We've had a misconception or a story that they interfere with clear thinking. But neuroscience tells us that's absolutely not the case, is that emotions are part of every thought. You cannot think without emotions, and depending on the emotion you're in, you will think differently. So we've had, uh, in my view, we've developed over time many, many misconceptions about emotions, 
And the result has been we've kind of dismissed them. We've set them aside. We've said, well, yeah, yeah, we've got them. But what's really important is developing our intellect. So again, what a tremendous gift our intellect. But what we've overlooked or what's been overshadowed, I think, is this incredible a gift we have, which is why the book is named The Unopened Gift, of emotions. Because if we take a look at our relationship with emotions, if we challenge some of those misconceptions, we actually see that they don't hold up very well. And they don't allow us to see emotions as a tool and as a life skill. But more and more, this is what's happening. This is you know, where we're going as human beings. And we can see in the last 15 or 20 years, the emergence of this idea of emotional intelligence, which has revolutionized the conversation. And the work I do is in the area of emotional literacy. So the practical aspect of emotional intelligence is how do we, how do we build our understanding of emotions? How do we learn to notice, to name how do we learn to navigate emotions or use them in, in navigating our lives? So I think there's a whole skill set here, which we're becoming aware of more and more, but there's still a lot of, I would call it misinformation or you know, misguidance or preconceptions about emotions that don't really help us in the sense of making them a life skill. Mm. Mm. So, I, I mean, we're going to get into that and, and, and what, what it means to coach and how you develop and, and what the process is. But just before we do, how did you get into the topic? Um, you know, what, what prompted your interest you know, in terms of exploring emotion? Yeah, I would say uh, personal suffering and desperation. Because there was a time in my life that, you know, I look back on and I think it was very dark. It was full of anxieties, full of fear, confusion. Um, I behaved in ways that were not in alignment with my values. I damaged relationships. And all of that led me, you know, to the question of, well, why? Why, you know, I'm a pretty intelligent guy. I got a pretty good education. Why is life seem so hard? Why does it seem so hard? Why is it so hard to simply you know, live in alignment with who I am? And why do I keep doing these things that get me in trouble or hurt somebody or hurt me in some way? And more and more, what I came to understand was it's not that I lacked anything intellectually. What I lacked was emotional understanding. I lacked emotional literacy. I had emotions, but I didn't know what to name them. I didn't know, I didn't know the difference between um, you know, fear and anxiety and apprehension, for instance, is that, you know, they were just all fear. You know, I, I didn't have those ways of distinguishing one from another and understanding what were they trying to tell me? How were they trying to guide me? So this is what I've been working on since then. And then when I became a coach, um, I began to see, oh, well, there's a tremendous possibility here to introduce these into the coaching process because every coachee, every person who comes to me looking for a conversation or support, they can articulate what their challenge is or what they're, what they're dissatisfied with. But they often think that the resolving that is going to be something intellectual. 
And what I found is actually it's generally not. It's generally something emotional is that either there's an emotion that's a barrier or there's some emotional ignorance in terms of they, they don't even have an awareness that certain emotions exist or they have a story about emotions, for instance, that we can't feel pride and envy at the same time in our relationship with somebody. And I would say, absolutely, we can. There are different emotions giving us different stories. So for me, I found it uh, helpful both, both personally, it changed my life much for the better. And uh, professionally, I find working with emotions with leaders, with with coaches, with educators, with parents, really anybody who is interested in developing this gift they already have, fantastic, right? Then there's something there to be learned. Yeah, well, personally, I can definitely relate to that. It it is that, you know, you're experiencing emotions, but you you struggle to interpret them and, and, Mm -hmm. and understand what they're telling you. And I'm sure that yeah, most people can, uh, you know, that w- will resonate with most uh, most people uh, listening to the to the show. Let me pause for a minute to tell you about our sponsor, Magic Mind. Magic Mind is a new plant based productivity drink that helps you maintain energy and focus. I've been drinking it now for about three weeks, and I'm really starting to notice quite a difference. I still have my morning espresso with my breakfast, but. I used to take a second coffee before starting work. Now I take a shot of Magic Mind. And what I find is that it gives me that energy, but for a longer, more prolonged period of time. And I definitely feel less jittery, more mellow. So it's easier for me to maintain my focus over a long period of time. I've also grown to like the the rather earthy taste. That comes from a combination of the matcha from green tea, which slows the body's absorption of the caffeine, hence why you get a longer sustained energy boost. Uh, The taste also comes from the collection of mushrooms that are included, ashwagandha, lion's mane and cordyceps. And each of those uh, help to boost your immune system and reduce fatigue and anxiety. So there's a lot of good nutrients in there uh, which are going to help you uh, maintain your focus, energy, immune system, reduce stress. So it's uh, it's all good stuff in there. I'd suggest trying it out. The good news is you can do that using a link from, from the website. I'll put it in the details below. But if you go to magicmind.co uh, forward slash PTP, you can get a 20% discount off your order using the promo code PTP20. And if you use the link and the promo code to subscribe in the next 10 days, then you'll get a whopping 40% off your subscription order. So go ahead and try it out and I'd be keen to hear what you think of it. Now let's get back to our conversation about emotions. So... How then do you do you start coaching emotions? I mean, obviously everybody everybody starts at a different level of of emotional awareness, mm. and we all mm. uh, we all experience emotions that are unique to us and in different ways. Where, where, where do you start? Yeah, the beginning place for me is just having a conversation about emotions, and you know, is for me to help people understand that 
Well, most of our decisions are emotionally based or they have an emotion at the root of them. And, you know, when I'm working with people who are very technically oriented, a lot of times the entry point is to say, well, you know, why did you choose to do what you do? Well, they might say something like, well, I'm good at math or I'm good at physics. Oh, okay. And why is that important? You know, what, what about being good at math or physics, you know, led you to this work? And pretty soon, after a few questions, they'll get to the point of saying, well, I enjoy it, which is an emotion, right? I feel pride because I'm good at it. That's an emotion, right? I, you know, I feel ambitious. That's an emotion. And so pretty soon, we're having a conversation about the emotions that drove their decision to do what they do. And it could be in relation to their, their spouse or partner. It could be in relation to anything in their lives, because pretty soon when you begin that conversation, people go underneath of the reason why they do things. And they say, oh, well, the reason is actually an emotion. It's because it produces this experience for me. Well, once you have that, then you begin, you know, everybody begins to say, oh, okay, so emotions are really part of everything. And, you know, there's nothing inherently good or bad about them. They're just part of how we live life and how we make choices and decisions and what guides us. So that's really the beginning place, I would say, is awareness. And the other thing is to take a look at some of the misconceptions is, well, what did people learn growing up about emotions? And many people learned, oh, yeah, but showing emotions shows that you're weak or, you know, emotions are positive or negative or that, um, you know, oh, the only way to relate to emotions is to try to control them. But by talking about each of those, pretty soon what they begin to see is, oh, well, that's just an interpretation. That's just what I grew up learning. But maybe there's another interpretation that might be more helpful to me. And, you know, we all get to decide what we believe and, you know, how we understand things. So there's, there's a logical component to emotions for me that, well, we, we don't act in life without them. They're part of everything. But also there's a structure of emotions that we can talk about which helps people see a repeating pattern in emotions. So, oh, they're less mysterious. They're less of unknown. And one of the challenges with emotions is that we never see them directly. I can see you on the video screen. I can see, you know, your face. I can hear what you say to me, but what emotions you're experiencing, the only way I can know that is through the interpretation of what I see or by asking you. And if I ask you, you in turn will interpret what you're sensing, what you're experiencing. So it makes emotions a little bit um, tricky in that sense is they're not measurable in you know, our day-to-day -day world. We need to be you know, a little bit Sherlock Holmes here to you know, take a look to be detectives about, oh, it appears from the way this person is holding themselves, their breathing, their posture, the look on their face, what they're saying, it sounds to me like maybe it's resentment. But I don't know that until we have a conversation about it. And I ask you, well, what is resentment to you? What does it mean? What's it telling you? What's the purpose of resentment? And then we get into this lovely conversation of, oh, and how can it help you? And how can it be a barrier? And right now, if you're feeling resentment, how is it 
is it being a barrier? Is it a barrier to something else that you want to move to? Or does it have a purpose in being there right now? Is it helping you in some way? Are you learning something from it? So by having those types of conversations, people tend to open up quite quickly about, oh, well, this is the emotion I'm experiencing. Here's what it's telling me, or here's what I think it's telling me. But you know, I'm a little confused because I, I'm not quite clear what's the difference between that emotion and this emotion. Great. Let's talk about that. Because the more distinctions we have, right, the better we can articulate the experiences we're having. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of the things I was going to get into because gr- growing up, I was, you know, I had quite a temper. I was quite competitive, angry and everything else. And I was constantly told, you've got to rein it in, you've got to rein it in. Yeah. You know, this, these behaviours are not helpful, they're going to get in mm-hmm. your way. So then I, I kind of drifted the other way and became quite close and, and, and sort of suppressed my emotions. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until years later, actually, when I started coaching that, that anybody really started to, to get under the surface and ask me, well, how do you feel and how 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 does that serve you and what's it telling you and everything mm-hmm. else? So, you know, this whole gap of, for me, of sort of emotional suppression, yeah. not, not, not in a really dire way, but it just enabled me to, yeah. to let my sort of, uh, I guess, intellectual, logical brain come to the fore, for, for, yeah. certainly from a business context. Yeah. But so, so now when I find just listening to you uh, unpick that, you know, is that resentment you're feeling? Da, 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 I'm thinking... I'm not sure I have the breadth of understanding of what of exactly what the emotion is. You know, if you said, mm-hmm. what are you feeling right now? I could say, you know, I, I, <laughs> it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily know how to identify it or to describe yep. it to you. So, yep. so how do you expand that, that understanding and, and that nuance of, well, it could be this or it could be that. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things I work with a lot is emotional clusters. So a cluster is, I always think like a cluster of grapes, right? They're, they're distinct, but they hang together. Right? We see them together and they even taste similar. And so there are certain clusters that show up just because of our experiences, um, because of the situation we're in. And a very common one is the cluster of fear, anxiety, and doubt. So when a coachee says to me, or anybody says to me, well, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety. The the first thing that I think is, okay, maybe it's anxiety, but it might be fear and it might be doubt. Why? Because they show up together often and they're quite similar. So distinguishing between them, right? We need to look at some of the finer details. So the first thing we can look at is the story or what we're thinking, our belief. And our belief in fear is that, well, there's potential danger, something might hurt me. And in fear, we can name it, right? I have fear of getting hit by a bus. I have fear of food poisoning, right? I can name the thing that represents a threat to me or a potential danger to me. Okay, that's fear. Anxiety is there's also a potential fear or or there's a potential threat, but it's vague. We're not sure what it is, right? So we feel anxiety maybe something bad's going to happen, but I I don't know where to look for it. So of course, I can't resolve it. I can't take care of it. And in anxiety, we begin to worry, right? Which is this circular conversation we have. 
And the whole point of that is trying to figure out, well, where might the danger be coming from? And then doubt is completely different because doubt is the emotion we have when we're doing something for the first time, when something is new, when we don't know what's going to happen, or we're not quite sure what the flow is going to be. So for instance, we drive someplace new. Well, what do we do? We prepare, we get out you know, our GPS, or we get on a map, or we ask somebody for directions. And so these three, when we begin to talk about them, what I often do is present these ideas and check with the coachee, okay, does this make sense to you? Or would you see these differently somehow? But then one of the tools I use is I just ask them to give me percentages. Okay, from the experience you're having, now with these three distinctions, what percentage is fear? What percentage is anxiety? What percentage is doubt? What makes sense to you? And it's fascinating because many times people will say something like, oh, 20% fear, 20% anxiety, 60% doubt. Oh, okay, why 60% doubt? Well, you know, I've done similar things, but I never did this, and there's some risk involved, and I'm not sure what's going to happen. And okay, what's the benefit of doubt? It has us prepare, right? We, we get out the map, we ask directions. So we check and check and check to be sure that we haven't missed anything. But a curious thing about doubt is it never gets resolved till the thing is done, right? Once you drive there, then you go, oh, here's where it is. I got it, right? Now I know how to get here. Doubt's gone, right? It just disappears because the you've resolved the situation. So by, by taking a look and deconstructing or decoding emotions in this way, it allows people to get more granular, to have a clearer view of, well, what, is, what am I experiencing and what is my story about this situation? And with each of those, if we were going to coach somebody, we would coach them a little bit differently, right? With fear, it's, okay, what's the danger that you can name? And are you sure that's the only one? And, you know, what could you do in advance to resolve that or to protect yourself from that? or avoid that. And with anxiety, right, we could say, well, you know, how could we get clearer on that with doubt? How could we prepare for that? So it takes the mystery out of emotions to where people just see them. Really, what I'm always looking for is as normal. It just normalizes emotions as, you know, a tool we have when we're living life, they show up, they're trying to help us in some way, but but they're they're giving us clues, but they don't tell us what to do, which I don't think we would want them to do. But you know, they're helping us see the possibilities, and then from there, right, we can actually connect that with our intellect and say, oh, what would be the wisest choice here is X, and you know, that's what I'm going to do going forward. Mm. So that's so, how I work with them. Yeah. Yeah. So I can see you you, you start with that creating awareness that, mm -hmm. oh there's an emotion and then you know from from naming it you get to a point of understanding and what it's what it's telling you what, what mm -hmm. clues it's giving you and I think I'm guessing then once you get through that you get to a point of acceptance of that emotion where you're no longer wrestling with it you've mm -hmm. you're aware of it mm -hmm. you understand the messaging and as you say then you get to <laughs> an energy of coupled with your thoughts of, okay, so I'm going to do this. But, mm -hmm. So in, in, in that sense, do, you, do your emotions just change naturally or do you, 
or can you get to a point where you consciously choose to move from one emotion to another? And does that happen as a product of mm-hmm. of the action or the, the that you you take? Yeah, I think both happen. You know, emotions show up as a reaction to something happening in our environment or something happening within us. Yeah, okay, so they show up, and these are emotions I think of as. Um, you know, they're not emotions we've selected consciously. But let's imagine, let's go back to the resentment. Okay, so let's imagine you're my coachee and you say, you know, we get to the point where you say, yes, I'm feeling resentment. And why are you feeling resentment? Well, because that is not fair. The way I was treated was not fair. Well, then the question is, well, what emotion would you like to be in? Is Is the resentment serving you? Right. Or is there a different emotion? And, you know, you might say, well, no, I don't like this experience of resentment, but I don't know how to get out of it. But if you told me, you know, where I'd like to be, I would like to be, mm, you know, in the emotion of acceptance, or I'd like to be in the emotion of curiosity or compassion, right? Well, then the question is, how do we get from resentment to one of those emotions? And there's really only two paths. The first path is, what do we think, right? We have to change our story. So in in resentment, you might say, well, that person treated me unfairly. In curiosity, you might say, I wonder what that person was thinking that they treated me in that way. Well, that's a completely different way of thinking about the situation. Yeah. In compassion, you might say, well, maybe that person is doing their best, but they didn't realize that I would see it as unfair. Right. So you shift what you're thinking, your story about the situation. But the other critical component is your body. And this is where the somatic piece comes in, because imagine somebody in resignation, they're collapsed, their chest is collapsed, they're looking down, right? They have a very somber expression on their face, they're very low energy, right? But then think about somebody in joy, right? They're upright and their arms are extended and they're smiling, they're full of energy, right? Well, the body of joy will not support resignation and the body of resignation does not support joy. So we need to shift the body as well, right? So it's not that we need to be what would we call it? Um, We don't need to be super experts at this. What we need to do is to be observant of our coachee and to invite them to observe. How is your body? What do you feel? What do you notice? How are you? What's your posture and your breathing when you're in resentment? Okay. And how is it when you're in curiosity? So show me demonstrate for me, embody those for me, show me one, and then show me the other, and then tell me the difference. Because when you see that you shift your body, it shifts your emotions, then you have a really powerful tool to choose. But many people have a belief, intellectual belief that, well, if I just think positive thoughts, that will change my emotion. Well, it's part of the answer, right? You change the way you're thinking, it's part of the answer, but if you ignore the body, there's nothing that will be sustained. And in fact, it may be completely impossible for you to get to a different emotion. Fascinating. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking back to some of the early coach training I did, and it, it was about that mix of thoughts, feelings, and and physical embodiment mm-hmm. emotions, you know, get up, move around, change your posture. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. The skeptic in me 
at first was, you know, we kicked in quite strongly and going, really? You want me to get up? You want me to physically embody this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So I think because in, in your book, you met in the Open Gift, you, you mentioned how curiosity and skepticism yeah. are, are key to exploring that. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. And, you know, for me, um, every emotion has a purpose. It has a value and it can also be a barrier, but none are inherently positive or negative. We often think of curiosity as very positive, but think about somebody who no matter how much information they have, they're never satisfied. What would happen? It's like a little kid, right? What would they ask you 50 times if you can go to the pool, right? They're never satisfied. Well, that's incredibly annoying. It's not particularly helpful to always be in curiosity. On the other hand, we often think of skepticism as a negative emotion. But what is skepticism? I believe X, right? Andrew tells me Y. And I'm trying to decide, well, which one of these am I going to believe? Or am I going to believe parts of both of them? So skepticism is comparing what we already believe with some new information to determine, well, which one am I going to adopt, right? Which one am I going to believe? Well, that's a learning style for many people, right? And so skepticism is not inherently bad. It's just the way we make sense of things. It's the way we try to determine what we're going to believe. And what's fascinating is people who are skeptical, like you were about this, is once you experience it, then many times you become the biggest advocate for it. Why? Because now you see it differently, right? Now, and you're very strong in your beliefs and your, you know, the way you see things, well, fantastic, right? But it's just the way skepticism works. It's not bad. It's just the way people come to understand things. Curiosity is one way. Skepticism is another way. We're all just trying to understand what's happening. Which I guess is is reassuring because, uh, you know, I, I infer from that that we're all capable of, of developing our emotional literacy. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I I think so. I think what's happened is we, you know, we may be wired a certain way in terms of emotions or emotional sensitivity, but also we've learned our whole lives, right? We, our family, our culture, both through instruction, right? Both through being told, like you were told, settle down, calm down, right? So what did you learn? You learned to rein in your emotions because, well, that's what was expected or that was the norm in your particular family. And okay, you learn from that emotionally. But then, you know, at some point to step back and say, well, is that really useful? Is it really useful that I learned that? And many times it's not that anybody has instructed us. It's that we've made sense of it. We've made our own meaning about emotions, either by watching the people around us and not just the emotions they express, but what they don't express emotionally, right? We learn from that as well. And there's many, many cultural stories, you know, women are too emotional. Well, this is a story. It's just made up. Oh, men don't have emotions, right? Or men shouldn't cry, which is related to emotion. They're stories, right? And, you know, they serve us in some ways, but they can also be tremendous barriers in other ways. So my invitation to all of my clients and all the people I work with is take a look for yourself, right? 
is your relationship with emotions effective in your life? If not, right, what do you need to clean up in terms of misconceptions that you've learned? Maybe just because you've adopted them, not because anybody intentionally wanted you to learn that. Maybe they did, but maybe they didn't. So, but what did you learn? Right? How do you see emotions? How would it serve you best to understand emotions? And then to begin to develop the areas that would serve you. You know, I was talking to a coachee um, just yesterday, and you know, she's very serious. And so for her, she didn't grow up in, a, in an environment where lightheartedness or let's say irreverence or mischievousness, which for me are both emotions, was acceptable. And so she grew up quite serious about everything she does. So play is difficult for her. And that's her learning edge, right? How do I, how do I access more? irreverence or mischievousness, just a tiny bit, right? To begin to develop those as an emotional skill, to become comfortable with them and, and to begin to, to use them to enrich the palate, <coughs> excuse me, my palate of emotions to make me a more rounded person, right? That I can interact and navigate and enjoy all the different situations that show up in life because life is one dimensional when it's always serious. Yeah. And, and I think it was that realization for me that, yeah, re reining my emotions in had served me and enabled mm -hmm. me to perform in the expected manner for the, yeah. in, in, in the sort of professional environment I was working in. But it was when later life, you know, I started to reflect and what am I missing out on? Mm -hmm. You know, so that's serving me in that context of my life. But what am I missing? And and if I could connect, understand and connect and embrace and enjoy these other emotions, then mm -hmm. life would be richer and yeah. more opportunities would come <laughs> about, which is entirely logical when you think about it, again, from the sort of intellectual <laughs> sense. Well, if I learned another language, then I could speak with these people. Or if yeah. I, you know, studied physics, then I could achieve yeah. this in my job. But, it, it, yeah, it was it was quite a... A, a new realization that there was yeah. this sort of body of, of opportunity of skills that I could I could develop. So, so once we develop that emotional lit literacy, what's different for us? Hmm. Well, one of the big differences is I think comprehension is we understand our motivation. Why did I do something? Why did I speak harshly to that person? What was the emotion underneath of that? And so I begin to understand my own behavior, my own action much more clearly, but I can also use it as a tool to prepare for action. So for instance, I'm going to be, okay, I'm going to be in this conversation with you. What emotions might show up naturally? Well, you know, maybe a little bit of apprehension, a little bit of doubt because we never did this before, but I can also choose, well, what emotion do I want to show up in? And the emotions that I want to show up in are, you know, here, service, right? I'm doing this for you and your, your clients, your listeners, or whoever ends up listening to this service. What about passion, right? Because I love this topic. That's an emotion. If I speak from passion, it produces the conversation that I want us to have or that I think is valuable. So we can not only understand what's happening, but we can use them as a tool. 
On the other hand, it helps us make a lot of sense of what's happening in the world around us. You know, why is somebody behaving in the way they're behaving? And sometimes we can, you know, support them differently if we see that, if we, you know, if we see somebody in fear or if we see somebody, um, you know, let's say really, well, if we see somebody in fear, then what could we do? Well, sometimes it's having a conversation about it, you know, so, oh, it looks like, you know, you have a sense there's danger here. What's, what's the danger to you? Because we have these experiences, but we don't always get clear on for ourselves on what's happening. So when we see them in another person, again, we don't know for sure what emotion it is, but it gives us a whole different set of conversations we can have with that person if we want to support them. You know, if we see somebody frustrated, we can offer help. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's so simple, but it allows us if we, you know, we all drive and encounter people who are rude drivers, right? So this driver, you know, maybe they're driving with urgency. Well, you know, I can, I can make up that story. I can believe that, oh, that person is, you know, driving with urgency because well, they got to get to the hospital. Yeah. And I can choose my own emotion in, in reaction to that or in regards to that. I want to feel compassion or dispassion, right? Just let them do what they do. And, you know, I'll drive in my own way and I'm not going to worry about them. So it gives us a whole different mechanism to make choices, to understand, to plan for things, but also to shift from emotions that may not be serving us at this moment or emotions we may feel sometimes caught in or trapped in, stuck in. And okay, I feel that and you know, that's legitimate, but right, I have this thing that I really need to do. And so I'm going to choose a different emotion, at least temporarily to allow me to do that. Yeah. I, one of the, the things that struck me as quite poignant and important in the in, in the social context particularly today is that that bit about owning your mm -hmm. emotion and it, it is yours you know it's like because you hear people say he makes me mad mm -hmm. you know like <laughs> like he's the creator of your emotion now uh -huh. you know so i think the example you said is you know we can feel disgust not because the other person mm -hmm. is disgusting mm -hmm. but because that's the way we see it uh -huh. You know, the, the disgust is about is about isn't about them. It's about it's about me. It's my responsibility mm -hmm. you know, based on my perspective, my story that I'm mm -hmm. telling myself. So yeah. if I chose a different story, then I could have a different emotion. But it, it, yeah. it, they are mine. And I think if we were generally more mindful of uh, and have more ownership of our emotions, yeah. and less less quick to to blame or attribute them <laughs> to other people, then yeah. we'd probably be yeah, a, a, a little bit, um, society would, it would work more seamlessly, perhaps. Yeah. The other side of that is it empowers us when we do that. Yeah. Because if I say, you make me angry, who am I giving my emotional control to? It's to you. And, you know, we, one of the ways you can test this is, okay, so Andrew, make me happy. Go ahead, make me happy. Yeah. There's nothing you can do to make me happy, right? Either I'm happy or I'm not happy. I choose. But, you know, you can say something unpleasant to me, but I can still be happy. 
right? So happiness is my choice. Anger, right? It's not that you made me angry. You did something. My story was that was unjust. That produced anger in me, right? We do the same thing with disappointment, right? It's not that you disappointed me. It's that you did something. I had an expectation you would do something different. I'm realizing that I had an expectation and there's reality and they don't match. And I feel disappointment because I wanted it to happen. But if we don't um, take responsibility for these, then actually we can't do anything about them, right? Then we can't work with our disappointment or our anger or our you know, happiness or love, any of those. We need to recognize that you know they, they come from us. They're our emotions. They're our reactions to what's happening based on the story and the experience we're having somatically. But I can remember at the beginning when I was trying to learn about emotions is having this reoccurring realization that, oh, no, not another emotion I'm responsible for. And it got really tiring because I... Oh, come on, I don't want to be responsible for all those emotions. But in the end, I don't see any other choice. I think that, you know, if we want to, you know, ensure our, our well-being, if we want to be emotionally balanced, if we want to, you know, be the person making choices in our life, then we need to take responsibility for our emotions. And, you know, sometimes it'd be nice to make them the responsibility of somebody else. But I think to be emotionally mature means, okay, right? They're my emotions. Now, what am I going to do with them? Is it okay? Am I going to keep it? Am I going to shift it? Am I going to learn something? What am I going to do with this gift that I've been given? I love that. Yeah. It is truly a gift. Really interesting conversation. I was just going to ask you about adolescence. You, you recently launched a new business, I think, mm -hmm. called, called Adolescence, mm -hmm. which is providing emotional intelligence coaching for, for younger people. Can mm -hmm. you just tell us about that? I, I know you do a, a broad range of coaching and you do mm -hmm. business leadership coaching and private stuff, but just tell us about adolescence. Yeah. So, you know, with... At, at any age, we, I believe, in my experiences, we have emotional wisdom, is what I call it. But even a six-year-old, right, if you give them a choice between, you know, disappointment, loneliness, frustration, anger, and you help them understand what those four are, they can tell you which they're experiencing, and they can tell you why. And, you know, I have some school principals who work with elementary students and, you know, they use some of the tools I've created in those conversations. And the thing is that what all of us lack, adults too, is the language. We lack our ability to articulate. Most of us use the same 15 or 20 words to name our emotions without variation always. And there's more than 200 emotions in the way that I or I would um, define an emotion or interpret emotions. So um, every age has this ability to work with emotions. They have emotional wisdom, teenagers as well. Now there's lots of things happening with them in terms of hormones and you know chemically and in terms of growth. But I don't think that that takes away from them the ability to learn any more than it takes away the ability to learn mathematics. 
And one of the things that I've noticed is that by giving them, you know, again, a range of emotions, it's appropriate for the age and having conversations with them about which ones they're experiencing, being sure to not be judgmental, you know, they're not good or bad. They're just emotions that you're experiencing. And sometimes in your life, you may feel more anxiety and sometimes you may feel more fear, more anger, more resentment, more joy, right? It depends on your season of life, so to speak. And as a teenager, as an adolescent, you're facing Think about it. All the change that you're facing in the world, you're, you're going to now you're beginning to interact with the, the outside world and all the influences there are out there. And there's lots of expectations about your behavior and what you will and what you won't do. It's a tremendously confusing time, but it's not just confusing intellectually. I think it's confusing emotionally. So the more that we can give adolescents the language of emotions, to have conversations, to treat them as normal, that, okay, you know, you have emotions and you will have emotions and they're your emotions, right? So they're your responsibility. And I think that's where it begins, right? It's not that, you know, your peers will do things that trigger you, but they're still your emotions. You're going to need to decide what to do with them. So I think what we can do with adolescents is help them build the language to take advantage of this you know, native emotional intelligence, but also emotional wisdom, which they already have. They already have an, an amazing amount of that. So I, I had one adolescent, it was really a fascinating conversation because he said, um, you know, I, I play soccer, I'm a pretty good soccer player, but I want to move to a better team, right. To be challenged, but I'm, I'm scared to, right. I, I hesitate. I, I, I can't seem to get myself to do it. And so we said, okay, great. Well, instead of trying to solve the problem, let's look at the emotions. And it was so fascinating because in just a short period of time, even on his own, he came up with the emotions of, Oh, he said, you know what? I, it's really fear. That's what I fear. Well, what's the fear? The fear is, you know, I won't measure up. I won't succeed. I'll fail, et cetera. Okay. And what are the other emotions that might carry you through that fear? And he came back with a list of 10 emotions. It was fascinating to hear his rationale for selecting those 10 emotions and how he could use those when fear shows up, right? The fear will show up. We're not going to get rid of that. It has a job. It's doing its job, but it's also a barrier. So what emotion could you access that could help you through? He's, you know, he came up with emotions like passion, like compassion, self-compassion, um, like boldness, just step in and do it. You know, he came up with lots of different emotions that he said, you know, what's lovely now is, you know, the fear shows up, but I have a path. I know where I can go. I have possibilities and they don't all always work, right? But I have a menu that I can choose from. And at least it gives me a direction in terms of where to go to continue to move forward with this thing that I care about. Wow. What maturity, you know, I was just so impressed with his ability to, you know, work through all of this and come up with his own plan, essentially. But I think, I think most adolescents can do that if we create the context and invite them to that conversation. You know, one of the products I have is I have Emoli flashcards, which are emotion flashcards, which help people do that. 
but also you know, an iPhone app, which you know makes it electronic and helps people do that. So there's lots of tools, you know, not just mine, but we need to put our attention on this idea that we can grow emotionally and that it would serve us. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just listening to that story, it's so powerful. And then you think, yeah, you know, it, Every leader in an organization faces those mm-hmm. th- those challenges. Though, that we all have fears, and it's it's yeah having that as you say that range of of skills or emotions that you can step mm-hmm. in that help you take give you the opportunities. Yeah, help you make that next step and just dial down the fear and and, and bring in other emotions which yeah. enable you to move forward and get get from that position of paralysis. I guess. Yeah, and if you if you think about the example you gave about yourself. You were told, don't do that. So you were only given one option, don't be that way. But you weren't given a menu of possibilities, right? So you had nothing to choose from because at that age, what do you know, right? You you don't know. And even as adults, generally, we don't know. But when we give them a menu of possibilities and we say, oh, well, let's just work through these and see what would the outcomes be in these different emotions and how might you get connected with them or access them? You know, if somebody had had that conversation with you, I think the outcome would have been certainly different, you know, still, you know, you might've gone through the same cycle of, you know, holding down your emotions and later realizing that maybe you'd lost something because of that. But I suspect that you would have had a very different experience around that emotional energy that you had. Mm. Mm, very true. Fascinating stuff. So <laughs> I, I usually finish up my uh, my conversation with a couple of quick fire questions, if uh, if that's okay. Sure. So what's what's your favorite emotion? I think probably more than anything, it's gratitude because gratitude is the story that everything is a gift. This conversation is a gift. You know, it's a cloudy day. That's a gift. My coffee this morning, it's a gift. So it's seeing everything in life as a gift. It didn't have to be this way, but you know, I'm fortunate. I'm fortunate to have received it. Who or what inspires you? Um, wow. I think really wonderful um, acting inspires me, you know, musicians. Um, curiously, my granddaughters are here. We went to the circus last night. First time I've been to the circus in decades. And what impressed me was the, the joy and the energy these, had, these people had performing for us because it's not something I do, right? It's, it's, you know, so just their energy to be able to get up there and do all they did and to have fun doing it, for me, that really inspired me because it's not who I am. It's not how I approach things. I'm, you know, much calmer than that. I'm an introvert. And so I felt a lot of joy in watching them and, you know, hearing the music and seeing them do what they did and have a good time doing it for my for my pleasure, for my benefit. For me, that was really inspiring. Yeah, I can relate to that. I actually, when I first stepped away from, from corporate life the first time around, I took over a, a acrobatic theatre and <laughs> it's, okay. it's literally sort of running away from the corporate world almost to the circus. Mm-hmm. But the thing that struck me was 
you know, running it as a business was was fun and pretty straightforward. But that live performance where you've got, you know, acrobats, circus performers on stage and you see see the connection between those and kids, you know, mm-hmm. kids particularly. Yeah. There's, yeah. It's such a powerful thing because they're so transfixed. And you, you, to my mind, you don't get that when you're watching a movie or mm-hmm. watching something on your phone. There's, mm-hmm. there's something about that connection of live mm-hmm. performance that... Yeah, is is so powerful, so inspiring. So I definitely relate to that one. Um, again, a question I ask a lot of my uh, uh, people I have conversations with. If you could offer uh, listeners one book recommendation, one thing to read that might inspire them, move them forward, unlock some some new thoughts or emotions, mm-hmm. what would it be? Well, there's a book I particularly like, which is called A General Theory of Love. It was written maybe 20 years ago, but it's a lovely book. It's three psychologists who wrote a book about love, but it's quite poetic. It's not, you know, it's not scholarly. And they said, well, we wrote it because we're constantly in conversations with our clients about love. And we realized we didn't really know what it was. So it's really an exploration of the theme of love. And I find it quite a tender book and quite a quite a lovely book to read. There's even some parts that include poems and yeah, so it's it's quite surprising in a way. It's quite an unusual book. And for me, there's a lot of wisdom in that about emotions and our relationship with emotions. So it's very different from what I've written, and I really appreciate you know what they created. Um and I've read it more than once. So certainly a book I could recommend, A General Theory of Love. Great. I'm going on holiday next week, so I'll okay. put, it, put it on my, on my reading list, which is growing by the, by the day. And, and last question, uh, again, one close to my heart. What, what's the best thing about living in Spain? Um, I think for me, it's probably the rhythm, the rhythm of, of, of life, the rhythm of the day. Um, here, you know, we always laugh about siestas, but a siesta is a thing. Um, you know, lunch is quite late at two and dinner is quite late at nine. Um, but that rhythm suits me somehow. And, uh, you know, one of the things I find here, there's, there's this expression about, you know, do you work to live or do you live to work? And I would say, um, you know, here they, they work, they work quite hard, but there's also a tremendous sense of enjoying life. And it's something that, you know, I didn't experience so much in the U.S. You know, is that there, for me, it was much more intense in terms of the work. So I think just the rhythm, the mood, the course of, of life here, um, I find quite, quite lovely. And that includes, you know, lunch can be two hours or longer. And it's not to eat a lot, it's to enjoy the experience. So uh, those things are very, very high on my list of you know, what, what I enjoy about being here. Yeah, again, definitely yeah. relate and endorse that. Brilliant. Dan, thanks very much. Um, just in terms of people want to get in touch with you from mm-hmm. uh, as a result of, of, of listening to this uh, podcast what's the best way they can uh, contact you yeah probably the the two simplest ways are one is through linkedin you can just look up dan newby on linkedin um the other is uh through my website schoolofemotions.world and if you go there there's you know, 
know, there's my emails there and there's contact forms, et cetera. But yeah, I would be delighted to speak to anybody. So, you know, sometimes I, I people tell me, oh, I hesitated to write to you because I know you're really busy. Well, okay, you know, we all have things we're doing in life, but this is a conversation I love. And it's also a conversation that it's really at the root of what I think my purpose is. It's to, you know, help make the world help make people more emotionally literate and and have access to this this gift that they have and so i'm always happy to have a conversation and you know at the very least exchange emails or on linkedin so please you know to everybody who's listening don't hesitate is um i would be more than happy to be in conversation if you're interested i leave it to you Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's, Wonderful. Uh, I was really looking forward to it and it <laughs> didn't disappoint. And I'm sure, or I hope that, you know, we'll, we'll get into uh, more conversations about it uh, in the future. But for, for now, Dan, thanks very much. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Please uh, like and subscribe and tell your friends, share the pod wherever you wish. And I'll see you next time on Purpose to Performance. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much.